0: For today's scripture reading, please open your Bibles to Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, "'It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables.' These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm John Dennis, Senior Pastor, Holy Trinity Church, and welcome to all of you. Just a word very quickly about Holy Trinity For those of you, we know that uh, people are coming and and looking for community in this very uncertain time that we're in, and I just want to say a word about Holy Trinity Church that we are looking to carve out what you might call a cross-cultural community in a broken and hostile world, a cross-cultural community that is founded on the person of Jesus Christ. And we believe that our that that our first calling is to our citizenship in heaven, that we're part of the kingdom of Jesus, while we're fully engaged practically in meeting the needs and and speaking the good news in our culture today. What a week we live in unprecedented times. Think of it: we are in a global pandemic already, and we have the economic repercussions of that, of of shutdown and the economic implications in particular for those who are in the service sector, who have seen their jobs uh, swept away, unemployment, black and brown communities in particular affected by the pandemic. We live in this moment where there's been a kind of uprising of, of social justice in view of some of the tragedies that have happened this summer, and then a backlash against that as well, and a further division in North America, pandemic, economic shutdown, social justice backlash. And beyond that as well, we have now what we see, these tremendously deepening political divisions, How often has it happened that the divisions have gone this deep? And I just want to say that that at Holy Trinity, we believe God's going to judge both the left and the right. That while we are American citizens, we're first and foremost citizens of the kingdom and that Jesus is our king. and That he is first and foremost among us. He is indeed the senior pastor. Of this church. We sang a little bit ago, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I wonder if you can say that today. The title of my sermon is A House Divided. It comes from Lincoln's address years and years ago, but there's one image that I want to put in your mind as we begin. And that is the image of the Confederate flag being marshaled and carried through the Capitol building just on Wednesday of this week. And as I read various news articles about it, I came upon one in the Indian Express. I thought that would be as Bipartisan of a view is possible. It says as Donald Trump's supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, the image of one protester carrying the Confederate flag caught everyone's attention. Why? This was the first time that the Confederate flag had appeared in the halls of the Capitol. And then the article goes on and says the image is significant because of what the flag stands for. And I ask you, what does? the Confederate flag stand for. How deep are the divisions in the United States of America? The flag is, at a very minimum, a symbol of a deeply divided country. Originally, the seven southern Confederate states that seceded from the Union in 1861 after Lincoln became president and then four more states joining them later. It presents before us the alternative narrative, which says that the civil war was actually a war of Northern or Yankee aggression. It's a symbol. So it may symbolize many things to many people, But beyond that bare minimum, many, many would say that it is also a symbol of white supremacy, even of pro-slavery. And so it's deeply grieving for images that are so divisive to also be raised alongside the emblem of the cross of Jesus the one who was crucified to bring unity between us and God, and not merely between us and God, but also between one another. Friends, the local church is not to be a bastion of discrimination, but rather is to be a fortress against it. We're going to see that in the text. You see, my friends, the the local church is called to be a foretaste, a concept of the kingdom, an idea that there's a possibility of a deeper unity, almost like a flag itself that waves and says that Christ has made those who have hated one another, us against God, man against woman, races against one another, has made us one. The church is to present the possibility of a God-inspired unity in the world, and yet this text shows us that there will be fissures, that there will be rifts, there will be challenges and dangers to its unity and its health and its mission, its priorities in the world, and that the church has to fight to maintain its health and its unity, its priorities and its mission in the world, a divided house is dangerous, division is dangerous. So what I wanna show you today, it's a very simple passage that the author, Luke, who is an eyewitness follower of Jesus, is telling us the story of the expansion of the church and as he does so, he shows us very clearly some problems or dangers in the church and then some solutions. And that's all I wanna show you today. And ask you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, We bow before you and ask you to uh, speak to us through this word today. Please anoint me by the power of your spirit. Help us to live in a cross-cultural, a counter-cultural way, Lord, that loves the weak, the marginalized, and the needy, but also proclaims the good news of Jesus as King and Lord of all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's the warning that is lurking behind these Two first dangers, the danger of neglecting the needy and the danger of doing so based on partiality or prejudice. It's this, that a house divided cannot stand, that it's right to look for fault lines in the community, in this case of Hebrews versus the, the Hellenized. It's right to look for those fault lines because a fault line can become a fissure and a fissure can be, become a fracture and a fracture can bring the whole house down. Cultural discrimination is an issue both in ancient practice and in modern day practice. We are susceptible to this. How do I know? Because prejudice can run right through our hearts. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Wherever people of different backgrounds come together, and this is why this is even more urgent in an urban context because it's so dense and so diverse. Wherever people of different backgrounds come together, there is a possibility of a house divided. Many of us have a fear for our country right now. Because yes, there's always been fault lines in our country. And for sure, we've seen fissures in the last four years in our democracy, fault lines appropriately so over abortion, fault lines over justice and social justice, fault lines over immigration, but what seems to be happening when we see this flag coming into the the Capitol building, we seem to all be realizing that the house of democracy itself might be in danger. And I wanna warn against that. What do we do when ideological extremism of our country is so deep that it seems to be splitting everything, every institution, urban versus suburban, red versus blue? Part of the warning of this passage is that those fault lines that are outside the church just might invade and run right through the church as well. In other words, what might start as a cultural fissure or an ideological fissure might become a practical fissure within the church that threatens the structure and the mission of the church itself. The word of God proclaims here that there's no place for partiality, that the Hebrew widows Hebrew widows, shouldn't eat better than the Hellenistic widows. You see, God's word is unafraid to address prejudice and partiality right on because God God is so aware that we are capable of prejudice and partiality. It's not just the left or the right. It's, it's all of us. God knows no partiality, but he knows that we show partiality and he takes it seriously. And so the scriptures give us this marvelous lesson and window into the human heart on how partial we can be, how corrupt we can be. There's a problem of unity here. There's a problem of partiality here. It's a problem of hunger and even of justice. And so now we want to look at ourselves for just a moment. Are there people that you need to be thinking about responding to? Are there ways in which as Holy Trinity has changed in the pandemic or grown over time that people are neglected, the needy, that God cares for? Are there people that you should reach out to this week and pick up the phone or text or reach out to? So the last danger that I want you to see in the text is this. It is actually the danger of the loss of the mission itself. The church is growing. People are getting overlooked within the community. The needy are being neglected. There is uh, preferentiality or prejudice coming into the church. But more than that, the the actual reason why Jesus sent the disciples out is at risk of being sabotaged by the distractions of the divisions, by the distractions of the the preferentialism and and the partiality and the prejudice. Because of that, the whole thing seems like it's about to come apart. So I'll show that to you even as we start to look at some of the solutions. But keep in mind the premise, which is that the people of God, his church, has a very peculiar role in the world, which is to bring the message of salvation, but also to be be a flag, not of disunity, but waving a flag of unity. And so there's three things that they do in this passage. And I'll list them very quickly. One is they they guard their priorities. They guard them not just priority, but priorities too, is they appoint a particular kind of leader. And then three, and this is almost a result, they, they begin to see the increase of the word of God and of the disciples. So let me just show you those three things, the three solutions that are there. So it says in verse two, it says, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, listen to what they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now I'm saying that they're preserving two priorities. They're not saving, saying we shouldn't serve the tables. They're saying that God's house, his home has enough spirit empowered leaders to care for the needy, to care for the neglected, and to preach the gospel as well. And let me hear me very clearly. It is so possible for the church to lose both of these priorities. But let me take the first one, which is the priority of proclamational mission. This is a very real danger, and it's a real danger particularly in urban contexts. Why? Because so often what happens in urban contexts is people get overwhelmed by all of the physical needs, and it becomes almost impossible to know how to meet those needs and all of the demands that are coming towards leaders become, leaders become too distracted by all that needs to be done. There's too many needs, or there's conflict, or there's division. I remember speaking to the wife of a pastor about seven years ago now, and he was in the midst of a tremendous conflict in a, in a Canadian denomination, and the denomination was trying to take the building, and it was over some very volatile issues. In He got burned out. His wife said that he went out one year, one day he was walking out into the backyard and he fell down and he hung on to the grass and he felt like he was going to fall off of the earth, basically. And he had been working so hard, so hard. He said he was working 40 hours just on the divisiveness of the issues in the church. And then on top of that, having to do all of the basic ministry of the church as well, as well as the preaching. And so he burned out. And it's possible for churches to lose their commitment to the priority of the gospel, to the priority of preaching, but it's also possible for a church to lose its commitment to the priority of caring for the neglected. And we are trying to keep both of those in balance. Jesus came and he had a ministry of the word and a ministry of the deed. They didn't say, let's not wait tables. They said, no, let's just not prioritize one over the other. They're guarding their priorities. They're protecting their priorities. And I, I really want to say a work about the particular calling of the proclamation ministry, because that's very clearly what is happening here in the passages. They say that they they do not want to neglect the table, but they also do not want to neglect the preaching of the word. And Martin Lloyd Jones, in his book uh, *Preaching and Preachers*, has a lot to say about this, about the particular role of the church. And essentially, what he says is the church is not just an institution like every other institution. That is, there's no other organism, there's no other institution that has the God-given message of who Jesus is, the sinfulness of humanity, and the possibility of forgiveness of all of our sins because of the blood of Jesus. Only the church of Jesus can proclaim the message of salvation. He says, uh, in, in one of the chapters, he says, this is specialist work. This is the particular task of the church. And he, he warns against what he calls the social gospel and and the dangers of, of what he calls the social gospel. He says, if the business of the church is really just to preach a form of political and social reform and pacifism, then the church is really not necessary because that can be done through political agencies. The church is not primarily a political agency. It must speak to political agencies. Uh, issues. It must speak to moral issues, but it has the gospel itself, which it must proclaim. People say when they hear messages like that, there's no need to go to church to hear that kind of thing. He says, listen to this. He says that my primary argument is that when the church performs her task, this primacy task, Other things result from it. It can be demonstrated quite satisfactorily that the Protestant Reformation gave the greatest possible stimulus to science and scientific inquiry. So my friends, let's keep the primacy of the calling of preaching the gospel as central to the work of the church. But at the same time, let's not neglect the care of those who are the most needy. I'm asking you to help us on protecting those priorities. So the very first thing that they do, and this is the solution to this danger of divisiveness, the the divisiveness that could cause the whole house to fall down is that they protect their priorities. The second thing they do is they appoint leaders. Leadership is the solution. Look at what it says in verses two and three. It's not right that we should, this is protecting the priorities, not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, what should they do? Leadership. Pick out from you, among you, seven men of good repute, full of wisdom and of, full of the spirit whom we will appoint to this duty. So leadership is what they're looking for to address this problem. And a lot of leaders, Dick Lucas, who's a pastor in London, humorously said years ago to a group of men that he was teaching the Bible to, he said, he didn't understand really why seven leaders full of the Holy Spirit were needed to just solve this one little problem. And he said, look, my assistant, my secretary could have solved that in one afternoon with a simple uh, spreadsheet. And and there's a lot of truth to that. But what they were doing was preparing for future needs, future problems, uh, the future growth of the church. And this is, in one sense, uh, many, many uh, scholars believe the emergence of a whole new class of leaders, that this is where the deacons themselves who were to care for the social needs of the church and the physical needs of the church were raised up because those who are serving tables are sort of deacons, literally, of the table, and the others are deacons of the word or ministers of the word. And so what's happening in the passage is that the problem is being solved really by one thing, which is spirit-empowered, wisdom-filled leaders. And I want you to see the qualities. They have good character and a good reputation. Why is that? Because everything rises or falls on character. Secondly, it says they're full of the Spirit. Why are they needing to be full of the Spirit? Because people who are full of the Spirit are loving and gentle and joyful and peaceful. That's They emulate what Jesus is like. So when we look for leaders, we look for character. We look for the fruit of the spirit. We look for wisdom, character, spirit, and wisdom because they need to be able to figure out what to do. And that is, friends, what we need. As things change within our church, as things change in the culture, as you see a fault line, we don't need leaders who will accentuate the fault line, but who can listen to people on the other side as the Hellenists would have had to listen to the the Hebrews and to build bridges and to say, that's what godly people become is bridge builders. They seek out the neglected and say, you are a part of everything. So Holy Trinity, will you pray with us that God will in the next season, give us these kind of leaders. And I believe that he already has We have such wonderful deacons and such wonderful godly elders and their wives and community group leaders and people in the marketplace. But as we were on our prayer call this week, a woman shared and uh, read from Matthew 9, 35 to 38, one of my favorite passages. And she said, look, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers in this season. We put it to you this way. How might you step into the gap in the church right now? Are there ways that God would use you and your gifts? Are there ways that you can ask Him to fill you more and more with the Spirit? Ministry has this deployment, not just of, 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 pastors and leaders, but of all of God's people, all of us are called, as Ephesians 4 says, to the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. So protect the priorities, friends, and raise up leaders, appoint leaders. That's what they did. And then here's what it says. Here's who the leaders are. Stephen, Philip. Stephen is the first martyr and is martyr in the next chapter. Philip, we meet in chapter eight. Pastor Jackson is going to preach that Pastor, uh, passage as well. And he's. Uh, it's interesting because both Stephen and Philip, even though they're called to serve these more physical needs, are also preaching the gospel as well. Um, and then we get five others, Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, which is going to kind of become the, the sending base of, of the gospel mission. So, that, that is uh, the, the first two solutions is to really protect the, the, the ministry to the needy and the preaching and proclamation of the word and then raising up the leaders and then really to seek the increase of the word and disciples. We're not here in the city merely for ourselves, friends. We are here to see more people understand the beauty and majesty of Jesus, the freedom that we have in the forgiveness of sins. So here's what it says in verse 7. It says, after they appointed these leaders and and laid their hands upon them and said before the apostles and prayed, then what it says is, and the word of God, verse 7, continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And I just say to you, brothers and sisters, will you pray that in the next five years, we would see tremendous fruit, that we would see the word of God. Can you picture that? The word of God continuing to increase in the city and the number of disciples multiplying. Will you pray for that with me for fruit? Friends, A house divided cannot stand, but the house of the kingdom of God is being built by the Lord Jesus Christ. As we sang earlier, the church has one foundation. What is that? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. We preach the gospel because we have this majestic, saving, powerful, king who's bringing his kingdom into the world. So friends, I want to ask you to fight for the health and the unity and the mission and the compassion of Holy Trinity as a church. We live in these unprecedented times when a symbol of disunity can be swung around. Friends, may you be a symbol of unity. May we have this one foundation you're the new creation by water in the word and God's calling elect from every nation to be one over all the earth. There's one Lord, one faith and one birth. I want you to notice the neglected Holy Trinity. I want you to prioritize the needy. I want you to give them special attention to go out of your way. I want you to pray for spirit-filled, wisdom-filled leaders to be raised up. Pray that God might fill you with the spirit even more and give you more wisdom. And then pray for the growth of the word and of disciples. May no one be neglected in our midst brothers and sisters. And may we never give up on our commitment to the preaching of this word of the cross. There's a woman in the church that I spoke with this week, and she wrote to me yesterday and said, yes, you can use an example from my experience during the pandemic of being cared for with calls and emails and thus having a sense of being taken care of by the Lord during this pandemic. This is a person it would be one of the ones that you would think of first who might be overlooked in our congregation. And she says, I don't think I have a day that has gone by without someone being in touch with me that I've known through Holy Trinity Church or somewhere else or through my neighbors. And the list goes on and she's felt the care of God. But on this, at the same time, she also says, uh, let's also be on the lookout for those who might be overlooked, especially at this time in the life of our church and the world at large, in this pandemic, God has been steadfast and faithful and always gracious, but let's be on the lookout. So we fight for unity and mission and compassion within Holy Trinity Church brothers and sisters. We're gonna sing, I cast my mind to Calvary. Where Jesus bled and died for me. Will you pray for me, Father in heaven? We bow our heads before you, and we think of Calvary, and we think of uh, how Christ's outstretched arms, in one sense, symbolize His love for all peoples, not just for the Hellenized, not just for Hebrews, but for all people, Lord, and that how He called His His Church to be a place of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. So, Lord, as Fissures come into the structure of our country as fault lines seem to expand and fracture. Keep us unified, O God. Raise up spirit-filled leaders who will be people of unity and people of proclamation that your word might go forth. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.